All right, welcome to part two of my interview with Ashton Colby, who is a trans man and an activist for the trans community. In this interview, uh, Colby and I talk about his transition from being female to male, the surgery, the physical transition, the emotional, the relational journey. I'm so appreciative of Colby for being willing to share and be as transparent as he is about his process and his journey and just be so approachable and willing to help educate people around him on this whole experience. So buckle up, here we go. Like, let's just, let's just go there. Let's just sign in. Like, I, I'm happy to share that what it looked like for me to physically transition was I started taking testosterone injections like once a week. And so I got uh, more muscle. I got a deeper voice. I got facial hair. I got chest hair. I got back hair. I got butt hair. I got like all the, all the hair, like really all the like secondary sex characteristics that guys get through puberty like I had to I had to go through a second puberty at 20 and my surgeries that I've gotten have been really to reverse the first female puberty that I went through when I was a teenager and so I had a chest develop and so I got a surgery to masculinize my chest and to reduce my chest to flatten my chest and so I can go to the beach shirtless and walk around and run and you know do all those things that guys get to do because they happen to have flat chests and that's how you know that that's accepted in society so I consciously chose that for me to have a good quality of life and be able to go to the sauna and stuff like that with other guys like yeah it was worth it for me to go swimming and everything to get a chest surgery. So I did that. And I also really wanted a beard. Like I, I came out when like the hipster thing was going on, like in 2013, I started to grow a beard 2014. I was like, I'm so glad the lumberjack thing is coming in like full swing in 2015 when I started to actually get a beard. So love that was so glad that the testosterone helped. Um, I'm actually today, um, three months post-op of my lower surgery and my bottom surgery, I got that to really masculinize what's down between my legs. And that was for me. And it wasn't for like truly anybody else other than me, because no one else sees it other than, you know, a partner or myself. And I did this without a partner and did it while I was single. And I but I chose that like it was the right time because then it was like for me and no one else. And it has been really challenging, but I had a lot of like, okay, if I'm going to go through this surgery, like it was the same kind of vibe of like, I, yeah, I had to pray about it. Yeah. I had to be like, is this the right next step for me? Yeah. I had to do it even though I was afraid, but I knew it would make me feel even more aligned. And I, am talking to you three months after the surgery where I'm starting to actually get to enjoy my body and I'm feeling the alignment that I knew I would feel and I'm happy I did it and so yeah so that's like my vibe maybe you have a little bit more tissue because some guys have man boobs like maybe you just don't care so you're just you know that's just your vibe so you don't get that surgery and maybe you're a trans woman and you have a flatter chest and you just are like, you know what? Some women just have that. I don't need to get breast implants. Like, so there's an array of options and, you know, I just did what I needed to do for me. And I was 
Googling stuff and coming up and a guy that was trans hadn't had surgery or taken any hormones, but he was like, you actually can just be trans and you don't have to get any surgery or hormones. And that actually gave me the freedom to then do a create your own adventure story and figure out that, okay, I can take this at my own pace. I actually, no one's going to force me to get surgery. Like I didn't want to get a ton of surgery. Like that wasn't like the goal of transitioning. It was what's the least amount of things I need to do to feel the best about myself and my body. And that's just where I'm at. What makes a man a man? What makes a woman a woman, right? Like what is the quote unquote definition of a man or a woman? And the traditional cultural attitude and answer to that question is basically your genitalia, your body parts, right? right? You are the summation of your body parts and which people in the trans conversation I found to be way more sophisticated and evolved and developed in their concept of gender because we're recognizing, I just said we like I'm a trans person. People in this conversation are recognizing it's so barbaric to identify yourself after your sex organs as if that determines who you are as a person, right? Like it's, yeah, it's just so, I don't know, it feels animalistic or regressive. And so I guess I just would love to hear your thoughts on if, the definition of a man is no longer what's between your legs yeah. or whatever, then what is it based off of? What predicates someone being a man? There's a lot of divide socially right now. And one of the hottest topics relates to gender and sexuality and trans people and pronouns and bathrooms and all these things that like are seemingly so concrete, like men are this, women are this, We've had these bathrooms literally cemented into buildings that have been there for hundred plus years. And to move anything or be even open to the idea of anything beyond what is so ingrained and established is really scary for people. So I want to acknowledge that when we're having these conversations about gender and sexuality and we're like it can be ungrounding because you think of, of anything that can't be changed, anything that's set in stone, it's that F or that M on your birth certificate. It's there from the second you come out of your, you know, you're, the second your day you're born, the doctor immediately looks between your legs and says, you have this or this, and this is the expectation for your life path, your parents, the nurses, the doctors, everybody from that second is already planning that you're going to grow into a woman or grow into a man. And you're almost no longer like a baby in that moment. It's like, you already are the expectations of your entire life based on the a few clumps of flesh between your legs. And so like, if you, for example, like were a guy and you went off to let's say you chose to fight in the armed forces and something happened to your, uh, to the five and a half inches on average between your legs and you no longer had that, would you be any less of a man because that's no longer a part of your body? And I think that anybody who really respects, interestingly enough, the masculinity or the courage that is, expected of men in the armed forces has great respect, especially for anybody that's wounded in the, in battle and would not see you as anything less 
than, than the man that you know yourself to be just because you happen to lose those few inches between your legs. And so then who are you if you're not like those, that, you know, the skin and the, that flesh? It's like who you are is how you communicate with other people. It is your soul. It's an inner knowing that is, it's not tangible. But if you ask anybody, like, what is, why are you a man? Or why are you a woman or, or anything? Like, there's just a felt sense. It's not tangible. I can't point to it. But also, when you pass away, who you are, like, if they weighed you the moment before you died, and they weighed you the moment after you died, you'd weigh the same because who you are, the essence of who you are, doesn't weigh anything. It's intangible, but you can feel it. You can feel it when somebody's clicked into it within themselves, and you can feel when people are not clicked into it in themselves. You can tell when something's funky and off, and they're 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 have this inner turmoil. And when you talk to a trans person that's allowed themselves to express themselves fully. And you sit down with them for a few minutes and you ask them and you try to learn about their human experience, you can feel that they're clicked in and they're tuned in in a way that like their spirit that or whatever that intangible thing is, it's aligned. And so it's not your body. Like we're not our bodies, like all Christians, anyone of faith. The whole aspect of faith is believing in things that you cannot physically see with your eye. The things we can see, yeah, we can see our flesh and skin and bones, but there is something else way deeper. What, because I'm trans, I can't feel that or tune into that in myself and other people. If you're paying attention and you're really listening to me and listening to me with like the ear of your heart and, and seeing me through the eye of your heart and like really trying to get to know me as a person, and you can hear that and receive that, you can feel it in me and you don't have any question anymore about like my worthiness as a human being just because I happen to be trans and me being trans doesn't prevent me from recognizing that in other people, I just am happen to just be trans. So long answer, but it's the only way that I can answer that question. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's not a simple question, right? Like that's- What makes a man? Like- yeah. <laughs> Total men, whether you're trans or not, are like questioning that. Like even um, Ben Rector, I think is his name. He's a he's kind of more on the Christian music like scene. Just released a song, couple like within the last couple weeks. That's the title of the song is like "What Makes a Man," and he's asking that like, is who my grandpa was working really hard was that he's he a man? is who I am to my daughter. Is that what makes me a man? Is my fame as a musician what makes me a man? Like, uh, you know, it, we it's a question as old as time. But if ever, you know, but you can tune in and you can feel within yourself what makes you who you are. Start there. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay, I want to pause for a second and just yeah, kind of digest that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you. Yeah, and I mean, that, that question was a lot. So I appreciate you even like stepping up to bat to, to address it. And I love, I love what you shared there. Obviously there's so much that can be said here. So we're not gonna be able to like do the due diligence of like pulling this whole thing apart. But um, something you said that is hitting in a funny place for me in like an important place 
you trans or not when you're talking to somebody and you can tell when there's an alignment or when there something's not quite in place i forget the verbiage you use but like basically that idea i mean i'm very familiar with that dynamic you're describing yeah and i used to teach on the gift of discernment the discerning of spirits right and like just recognizing where something was coming from the source or origin of it and the effect that it's having and whatever a big part of how that gift operates in my life from a visceral level which is so weird i don't talk about this stuff anymore yeah I want to, I want to get back to the place where this can have context in my life. Again, I'm just doing such an intense deconstructive pull apart right now that the discerning of spirits is kind of on hold. It's not gone. It will never go away. It just, it's under review in terms of how does, how do I translate that into all this, right? Anyway, all that to say, one of the biggest things that that gift, the way that I recognize it operating when I would feel something off is when there was a misalignment. Yeah. Um, like you can tell when someone's lying, not because of what they're saying or even the way they're saying it necessarily. Those things might be show might show up in some way, but the bigger telltale sign that there's falsehood happening, no matter what the content is, yeah, is feeling or being conscious of that misalignment. It's visceral. There's an inner compass. Like we don't like. I feel like there's such like a you have to completely disembody yourself. You have to completely give your entire sense of self away to God, totally cut yourself off from your body. You can't experience pleasure in your body. You can't use your body as like a tool for emotional self-regulation. You can't like, that is like the rules that we, that I was raised at least in Christianity. And it's like, if the body is a gift, why not recognize like when something feels off, trust it it's an inner knowing it's a gut knowing it's a visceral knowing it's a heart is the compass knowing and yeah like i use that as my discernment my bs meter whatever you want to call it everyone (laughs) has it it's like are you giving yourself permission to hear it and it's i think the most important thing that lands with me about that is like what stands the test of time with that bs meter so maybe like at first you're learning about trans people and you get viscerally uncomfortable because you're like, oh, that's just like so weird why someone would get surgery for their gender. Like, and it does make you viscerally uncomfortable. And then yet over time, you keep re-meeting that conversation because it is a conversation and you keep revisiting it. You're going to notice that that dissolves away and you have a deeper understanding and the more you start to like live and let people express themselves and you recognize the light in them you can more recognize it back in yourself and like it, that'll dissipate if something is just off and it's off and it's just objectively wrong and it's maybe like hurting an animal and you see that and it makes you viscerally upset that's never going to go away you're going to always forever when you see that happen be viscerally upset there's never going to be a way to see that through the lens of love ever um so that's how my kind of like barometer it's like well let's keep re-meeting this and revisiting it and then go from there so yeah totally yeah, yeah. It's, it's very human right yeah. um yeah it's fascinating I also wanted to poke at when you said, um, like a, a, someone who goes to war and they lose, yeah. like what's going on between their legs. Totally. Does that, by some people's definitions or standards of gender, now this person is no longer a man. If that's yeah. what determines, right? Or and then I'm wondering if maybe they would say something like, "Well, he was born a man with a, yeah. 
he was born with a penis, therefore he's a man. Yeah. But based on that logic, we can bring all kinds of very real examples of exceptions to that logic. Sure. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, based on what you just said, this person is no longer a man or what, what are we- Or even on? biologically and scientifically, like there's so much variation to like biological sex than just like having a penis or having a vagina. Like even beyond just humans, like just animals, plants, like it's way more diverse. Like people want to say, oh, you were not born that way. Or even use like, well, you can't change your DNA. And for me, I'm like, I want to know the last time person commenting on TikTok that you like saw under, you know, deeply magnified lens your own DNA. Like, and, and that you you need to see somebody's DNA before you know how to interact with them in a way that's human. Like it's that matters to you really more than just how like someone identifies themselves or who chooses to show up in the world like for me someone's spirit and their sense of self is takes way more precedence than their body I don't care like even speaking of Jesus Jesus didn't see your illness you know dripping in front of him he didn't see you for your your lesions or your sickness or whatever like the way that Jesus was able to heal people is because he saw beyond the physical eye people as their complete, perfect, healed, whole selves and in witnessing them in that way, that's how miraculous things were able to happen for people. And they will be able to receive healing in their physical flesh by being witnessed by more than their body, by being witnessed in pure unconditional love i want to check back in in terms of your decision to go through your transition process and the yeah. surgeries and all the things was changing your physical appearance for you or was it for the people around you so that they could succeed in relating to you in the way you identify like how do you see your choice to physically alter your body yeah. As it relates to your environment and other people and the way they relate to you. Cause like you said, when you were a kid, if no one gave you like pushback or nobody bullied you for the way you dressed, you would have full steamed ahead. Just continue with the cargo pants and the Hercules costumes. Yeah. Like you would not have changed course. Totally. It was the social yeah. coercion or like pushback that caused you to change your behavior. And so I'm wondering, is this surgery like a decision to undo the conformity you learned to accept Hmm. Or does this have, do you think it had nothing to do with people around you? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a both and thing. It's, I did it for myself and I did it to be a person in this world who doesn't live in a vacuum. And like part of what being human is, is to like interact with other people. And so I did the best with what I had and the options available. And so I think it only matters to me that I did it consciously and I did it out of like a love for myself and a respect for myself and a respect for my body and like as respectful as I could be to even other people. Like I took into consideration my parents. I took into consideration what the people around me would think. And I knew I might make them uncomfortable, but I still did it because I had to honor myself first. And so it's, I didn't see myself as any less of a man before I had surgery, but 
I, it definitely felt really affirming after surgery for me, but also knowing like other people, it could, they could see me really see me easier. And if that, that is a, again, a path of least resistance and it made my life easier then yeah, it was worth getting surgery. So it's, you know, it's a both and thing. If I was born and raised by wolves, would I have needed to transition and like get surgery and be gender dysphoric? Like I wouldn't even have known like what trans was and I would be feral, you know? (laughs) So it's like, you know, you, it matters that I did it both for myself and just to live in this society. And I also take into account that like, we've only had these surgeries for the last several decades and for hundreds of years, thousands of years in different cultures all around the world, there's been third genders, fourth gender, fifth, you know, in Samoa, in India, in indigenous American culture, like that they've had two spirit people. They've had Mahu people that have been recognized as gender variant or gender expansive, and they've been respected with out modifying their bodies in, in a lot of ways. So it's uh, maybe a lot of Western modern medicine that does make trans people feel like they have to get a ton of surgery. And we're seeing a lot more people realize, okay, you don't necessarily have to do, it is a lot more individual. And I like that a lot better than how it was maybe even in like the eighties and nineties and where it was like, this is the only way to be trans. You have to get all the surgeries and it's, it's a lot more complex than that. But I think that answers your question for the most part. Yeah. I mean, basically there's so many directions this conversation could go. And so we're just going to have to keep making judgment calls and we're going to have like as much of a cohesive dialogue that we can recognizing, I guess I'm just throwing a disclaimer out here, recognizing there's so much more to this conversation than either of us able to address, right? So we get that, um, but functionally we're gonna keep moving. Um, But yeah, totally, I agree. And it's fascinating to like observe other cultures and how they've treated, you know, the whole gender conversation and even having reverence or respect for the the variation as opposed to like persecuting and trying to like erase (laughs) the people who are presenting something contrary. What, so you mentioned your parents and, you know, obviously you have people who are close to you in this process that were impacted by your choices and your journey. Yeah. Curious if you wouldn't mind sharing, what was that like? What were your boundaries like with them before, after, how did that have to go? Um, how were they impacted by the decision to transition or, you know, what were some of the, what were some of the beautiful or horrible things in that process? I'm just curious. Yeah. What was that like? I had support from my dad who, who really understood right off the bat. I had other family members who were really confused why I was going to try to go from a conventionally attractive, like woman to then like, why would you give that up? You're going to regret it. You're going to you know, they felt like the only thing, like they would do anything to look like I did. Why then, why would you quote unquote, give all that up and give that away? And for me, it was never about like being seen as attractive in the eyes of anybody else. It was like, I I have to do this for me. I don't care if I'm like maybe then a, an average looking guy, whatever. Um, it, it, it was really challenging to have people 
that I love not understand at first. And I've luckily seen them as I've kept living in my truth come around. Like it took maybe five years for certain family members to come around and accept me. And I probably wouldn't have had the strength to like be an advocate if I didn't at least have like my dad, my one consistent person in my corner that's loved me and my best friend and my best friend's family like have become like a second family to me and like you just need like that one person to support you and luckily I've had more than more people support me than not so why do you think your dad when you when you say he was understanding what does that entail and why was he so on board so easily he describes it as that he could feel that internal misalignment like there was just something off something just wasn't clicking he could feel like I was just disconnected from myself and my body and there's only so much you can hide like from your from your own parents that want to see you that really at least are trying to see you and so he just you know honestly I'll answer it really honestly my dad like my youngest sister passed away from cancer and so he saw what it's like to actually lose a kid and he wasn't gonna lose another kid and so he was like you know what we're just gonna do this right and I'm gonna support you because I actually have a frame of reference of what is life or death and even as big as this transition is it's not a make or break and again he understood in a way that is intangible that who you are is not your body because he saw that with my sister Lauren. And so he just, he just got it. And he's a deeply spiritual guy and understood that like love is unconditional and God is always going to love me. And that's what he's reminded me throughout this whole process. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry about your sister. My gosh. It was like 15 years ago. So he's like, it was, I was probably five years before I came out the freedom to come out was in like, you know what, life is kind of short sometimes and you just got to like live and keep showing up. And so it's like, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. So then coming out as trans is like, oh, I can do that. Like, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense in an interesting way. I'm intrigued by the correlation. I think I'm observing between suffering and compassion, mm. like people's capacity to have compassion yeah especially as it pertains to the queer community so like someone who's not queer but learns to be affirming and to become an ally for people going through that experience even though they're not personally going through it I think oftentimes the people who are willing to do that are familiar with suffering in some to some degree and obviously every human being has some degree of exposure to suffering but some people like losing your kid like not everyone experiences that especially at the age you know and all that but that does some like stuff like that does stuff to you. It changes you. It breaks absurdity and prejudice yeah. and, you know, these like really stupid, unfounded, prejudiced attitudes. Those things you don't really get to afford anymore when you've already had something so intense, like exacted on you or taken from you or whatever. And so I think it's fascinating to observe the correlation between the two. And I think as queer people with the level of like, vitriol and hate that we've experienced and reject and rejection we've had to like overcome and the pain and the you know the suicidality and some just the things that come with the journey for a lot of us I think that causes us to become so much more compassionate for other people even in experiences that we don't identify with so like I don't experience the trans 
journey. Oh, and yeah. I've met some queer people, some gay people who they're intolerant to the trans experience. They're like, sure. it's LGB and they want to cut it off there. And I'm like, right. what? It's so, I don't relate to that at all. Right. When I came out, I was like, I don't understand the trans thing, but I am going to defend these people, not out of blind yeah. loyalty, but out of a genuine yeah. regard for just because I don't get this or because I haven't experienced it does not mean it's invalid. And I sure as hell doesn't invalidate their pain, right? Something's going on here. Why are they choosing to, and it was not hard for me to understand sure. the motive having been in my process. So it was fascinating to like observe that in me, even though I saw people around me who supposedly were in the same boat, not have that same like compassion or consideration. And I'm like, what? Um, and so I kind of took to like advocacy for trans people pretty early, even before I was really that educated. I just knew from a conviction place, like, no, 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 we don't get to treat people this way. These people are dignified. They deserve, yeah. they are the ones who know better than any of us what's happening here. We should be listening to them, not telling them what they should be experiencing, right? And like that, yeah. so many people don't even get that. But I think suffering is, I don't know that it's necessary, but it seems to be a common denominator for a lot of people um, in terms of their capacity to regard something that's foreign to them and still have compassion. When there are people that don't, don't respect me for being trans, it's whether they are gay or whether they're straight, like I know that it's coming from a place of fear and not love because there's really only two options. And so if you have stared your own fear and separation from love in the face and you have chosen love no matter what, then it's really easy to accept other people through the eyes of love, no matter what. So I have compassion, ironically, for the people who don't accept me because I get it. Like I used to think trans people were just like weird. Like when I first ever heard of them, I was like, why would you do that? And then I started to understand like, yeah, I was afraid of something that, yeah, like I was worried people are going to treat me messed up. Uh, or if you don't, if you support trans people, maybe you're afraid people are going to persecute you. So I get it. Mm -hmm. I get where it comes from. Nice. I don't, I wouldn't say that I'm there yet, but that's, yeah, very, <laughs> very gracious. For my own sense of peace, you know, it's honestly like, <laughs> it helps me sleep if I just like, I have compassion for them. And I don't know, I guess I'm, I had, I used to have a lot of anger towards yeah. transphobic people, but maybe I'm just tired of it or <laughs> I don't know. Like it's, I think it's not fizzled out, but transmuted into just relentless love. That's awesome. I look forward to the day where that's my experience. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I'm so still. It's an ongoing, it's a practice. It's a spiritual yeah. practice. Right, right, right. This one kind of tends to be probably the more politicized and controversial and like opposed aspect of the trans journey in at least in our country right trans athletes yeah Come yeah let's talk about it okay we're gonna pause our interview with colby at this point be sure to check out part three to hear about the trans athletes conversation so if you're a queer person and you're looking for help uh, a support system an environment or community uh, who are faith-based working out reconciling their faith with their sexuality we have uh, something just for you. It's called the Rainbow Room. I've provided a link below this episode for you to check that out. 
If you are not queer, but you are an ally or want to be an ally to the queer community, we have a group specifically for people like you. So that link is provided below. It's a group called Allies, a group of people who are also on that same path, doing the work to becoming better, well-rounded allies for the queer community. And then if you need coaching in your life, specifically in the areas of getting past your own lies, your own hiccups, your own cycles and patterns of dysfunction, I want you to know that I have started taking coaching clients again. I'm not taking a bunch, but I am taking a few and I still have some slots open in my schedule. So if that's something you're interested in, you can check out the link below to apply to work with me. Just put um, Mike in your application. All right, thanks for checking this out, everyone. Uh, we'll see you next time.